All right, good morning. Let's pray together as we get started here. Yes, Lord, we confess. To this we hold, our hope is only Jesus. Apart from Jesus Christ's life and death and resurrection and ascension and someday return, we would be hopeless. And yet, Father, we are filled with hope because Christ reigns. He is supreme over all. He is creator and sustainer of all things, and we confess today we believe in him and he is our hope. We confess that there is life and breath and everything that comes from you. We confess that salvation is from you, and we rejoice today as we sing and pray and hear these truth-filled words. It stirs our hearts to know that you are great and you are good. So Lord, I pray as we open your word, God, give us grace. God, incline our hearts to your testimonies. Let us hear this morning of your steadfast love, for our hope is in you. Make us know the way that we should go, for in you we put our trust. Lord, satisfy us today with your steadfast love. Let us be satisfied in you. May our belief in you come out in our lives in the way that we talk, the way that we live. May we be a faith-filled, hope-filled people in our jobs, our gathering here, our homes, recreationally, whatever we're doing, God, may we express our faith in you in every facet of our lives. I pray as we're gathered here, your word would do a great and abundant work in my life and all who are here. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. If you have Bibles, we're going to Exodus 15. Exodus 15 is we're going to go to this morning. I hope this is going to be as helpful to you as it has been to me to study this and think about these things. And sometimes helpfulness can mean conviction, which it has been for me in certain ways to think through these things in my own life. But I want it to be of help to you. It's been help to me as well. So thinking through Exodus and what God has for us here, some good truths on God testing and growing his people. When life is going well, and it's pretty easy. It feels like we're living and acting like Christians on a good level. It's in the challenging times of life that our metal gets tested and we wonder where we really are. For example, um, I have in my history had issues at times uh, with patience in the midst of traffic jams. Okay, I'm from New York. We're not the most patient people ever on planet earth, and so there's times I, I know you all don't, but that can be an issue for me at times, and uh, for some years now, uh, I feel like, man, I've grown in my area of patience, I'm doing better in traffic jams than I used to, but here's the thing, I live, and if you don't know what this means, I'll explain, I live in Cedarville, Ohio, where traffic jams happen like once a year when college students come back, um, and also, by the way, I walk to work every day. So I don't know how well I'm doing there because I'm really not being tested all that much in my patience in that context. We feel like, man, my growth in sacrificial love is evident. It's there. And then one of our children or our grandchildren 
does the same thing for the 10th time in 47 minutes. And you're saying, please don't do that. And it's being tested, that sacrificial love. Parents, don't look at children. Anyway, um, we're joy-filled in life, right? We're joy-filled. And then various things happen. Unexpected prognosis. A phone call from a family member that is unexpected. A job disruption. And that joy gets tested. Just like you can't know how strong or how fast or how smart we are unless we test our physical and mental abilities, God probes our faith and tests us to strengthen us and make us more of what he wants us to be, which is, by the way, conformity to the image of Jesus Christ. He wants you and I to be like Jesus, and that requires his testing of us. So if you've read Exodus, I'm sure you probably have at some point in your life, Exodus 1 to 15 is just this epic portrayal of God's glory. Calling of Moses, 10 plagues. Oh, there's a sea in front of you, Israel. Not a problem. We'll part that thing. Oh, enemies coming. No problem. We'll unpart that thing and destroy them. Just epic data and content about who God is and what he's done on their behalf. We'll say more on that in a moment. But God's glory displayed in numerous ways. Now, in the second half of Exodus 15, we're seeing this much slower grind in the wilderness beginning. Now, the question is, will Israel be faithful as they are tested? Will they trust God when he promises to care for his people, but they don't see exactly how it's going to happen? That's a question for us. Will we trust God when he promises to care for his people in his word, but we're not entirely sure how or when that's going to happen? It's called trust, friends. It's called a faith. We're going to learn from this passage, we should trust God in every circumstance so we obey him joyfully. That's the call on our lives. So there, there are two main tests we see in this text here, and it'll translate for us as well here. So the first test is the test of thirst. The test of thirst. So Acts 15 verse 22 says this, then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Marah. And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log, and he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. There the Lord made for them a statue and a rule. And there he tested them, saying, If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God, and do that which is right in his eyes, and give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord your healer. They came to Elam, where there were twelve springs of water and seventy palm trees, and they encamped there by the water. Now again, in chapter 14, Israel sees firsthand enemies coming. They just exited uh, Egypt. See in front of them, that sea is parted. God saves them and judges enemies and glorifies himself in that way. Chapter 15, there's poetic commentary on what happened in chapter 14. 
And they say things like in verse 11, Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who's like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? And see, God's redeemed them. He's saved them. He'll plant them in this new place, this new promised land. Israel's sure of God's planting them as a people and reigning over them. So they're full of confidence. They're off to a good start. And then day three hits. Not very far down the line. We see them here, and they're out of the Red Sea, in this wilderness they're starting out, come to a place called Mara. there's not water there, and it says in verse 24, the people grumbled against Moses, key word, you'll see it a few times here in this text, saying, what shall we drink? So they, they go from like this epitome of praise in the first half of the chapter to now grumbling, saying, where are you at, God? Where's the provision? What's going on here? My kids are, are of an age, they're, they're now both teenagers, which is crazy. Uh, my son just turned 13 last week. And so we don't watch a whole lot of like cartoon movies on Friday nights anymore. But a few weeks back, we, we, they, they wanted to. So we watched uh, Up, this cartoon movie. If you haven't seen it before, it's about a guy named Carl Fredrickson and this kid named Russell, who's a Boy Scout. And, and this kid, Russell, is keen to help Carl, this, this older man. And at one point, he wants to help Carl get to this place called Paradise Falls. And he's super eager, enthusiastic, happy, ready to go. And then next scene comes, and Russell says this, I'm tired. My knee hurts. My elbow hurts. And I have to go to the bathroom. To which Carl says, I asked you about that five minutes ago. To which he says, well, I didn't have to go then. I don't want to walk anymore. Can we stop? And we're watching this as a family, and we're just like cringing, like, oh my word. But that, that's Exodus. First half, yay, God. Second half, where are you at? That can be us. That's right. That's right. That's where we are sometimes, friends. We say, God, you are awesome. Gather with God's people, singing songs, raising hands, clapping hands. You're good. You're worthy. And Thursday comes. We say, Lord, where are you? And, and grumbling may come from our lips at times. We're quick to criticize Israel, at least I am at times. I read the Old Testament and say, Israel, what is your problem? And God, the Holy Spirit, will say back to me, Jeremy, what is your problem? <laughs> Same kind of problems. It's a legitimate question. We need water. It's true. They need water. We need water. There are not many times in my life I've wondered, where will my next drink of water come from? I haven't had that very often in my, my life. But whatever it is in our lives, we can be quick to question, complain, perhaps get negative when God doesn't provide something as quickly as we want it. It's not just the what, it's the timing behind when God does what he does. And again, in life, we wait on God for a variety of things. You wait on God for that biopsy report, that test result, the next job, the next paycheck, that family member to change in some kind of a way, that relationship you're waiting for in life, the time when you're going to be finally acknowledged for your work and not looked over. We're waiting and waiting and waiting on the Lord and saying, when are you going to come through? So the issue for Israel and for us is after all that God has done in Egypt and in biblical history and in our history, do we trust him to keep providing the right things 
in the right way at the right time? Do we trust him to provide the right things in the right way at the right time? That's a big question here. And and note again in verse 24, this word grumbling. We'll say more in the next chapter in a few verses why that's such a big deal, because it is a big deal. So Moses cries out to God. He tosses a log into the water. It becomes sweet, and there it is. They can drink it. But God says in this passage that he is, in fact, testing them. In verse 25, he's testing them in this place, in this way. If they'll keep his commandments, he will bless them. God does this. James 1, verse 2, count it all joy, my brothers, when you encounter trials of various kinds, knowing that the what? Testing of your faith produces steadfastness. God does this. He tests his people to grow his people. The point of this is to get a people who trust God, who know his character and his power, and say, I'm going to look to you in faith. So in God's testing of our faith, will we trust him in our attitudes? Will we demonstrate a lack of faith instead? Will we, will we demonstrate, this is, this is key for us, friends, will we demonstrate before God a calm confidence in moments of testing or a distressed distrust? That's the question. Because, man, when testing comes, when trials come, difficulty comes, I'm not always calmly confident. I can be distressed and distrusting. And the call in our lives as Christians is to say, I know my God. Everything, friends, everything that was said and sung this morning is genuinely, authentically true. Everything you sang and proclaimed about the God in this word is true. And therefore, we can be calmly confident in the moments we face in life. And I don't know what kinds of moments you're facing this morning. I know my own church of people I can think of right now who are facing unemployment and cancer and children who've walked away from the faith and a hundred other things. And I can imagine in this room there are similar issues. And I want to briefly here just show a, a kind of diagram that is helpful to me, helpful when I try to counsel others to say, how, how do I process all of this well when I walk through a trial of various kinds. So just a diagram to, to note this, and uh, if you want to get a phone pick or whatever, do your thing. It's awesome. So just to explain really quick, though, this idea, this has helped me a lot. Top of that circle, call us the learning circle. Top of that circle, you see purpose and agenda. God has a purpose for your life, friends. It is in Romans 8, 28 and 29. We know for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purposes. Don't stop there. It goes on. For those who before knew, he predestined that they might be conformed to the image of his son. That's the key. God wants you, his purpose for you and I is to be made more and more and more in our character like Jesus. So he will probe, he will test, and he will push and, and prod us toward that end through various experiences. We need certain things to grow to like Christ, so he brings about experiences in your life. You can name them off, I can name them off as well. In life, tensions arise then, because they're hard experiences a lot of times. 
I'm never going to raise hands here. I'll ask students, I'll ask churches. The question, how many of you would say, man, it's in the easiest, most comfortable times, that's when I grow in being like Jesus the most? I want to raise my hand for that, but I know what's truth is, it's in the trials, the difficulties, the refining times, that's when God really grows us. And tension comes. And now the question is, where will we go with that tension? And I want to encourage us, let's go toward examination. And when I say examination, a lot of times the question we'll ask is something like, why me? Or why now? And I want to encourage us to, to reframe our examination and say, okay, in the testing that God brings, Lord, how are you conforming me to the image of Christ? How are you using this to make me more like Jesus? And how, can, how can I submit to that and be growing in that kind of way? Get into our desires of our hearts. Because sometimes intention of life, our idols are exposed. And you realize the desire of my heart is not right and biblical. And sometimes in that examining, you realize I'm not interpreting all of life in the right kind of way. I'm not interpreting biblically what's going on here. This is where community comes in, friends. We need people who are ahead of us in life, peers, those we're discipling, to be in this process. We conclude things and say, okay, God is working in these ways. We can't know all things, but we can recognize some ways God is at work. We can bring application into that and transformation to that as well. It's just a way to try to say when we hit the testing moments, and we will, as Israel did, how will we face those and ensure I'm going to go toward transformation and not toward distress and distrust. That's a call on our lives to do in community. So, friends, I, I don't know all of how you do what you do here at Chillicothe Baptist. I want to just say, be in community, know others, and be known by them. Don't hide. Be known and know others and help one another know. Everyone here, let's say it the obvious, Everyone here is not Jesus. Fair? Okay. So with that being the case, everyone here is going to face sin and suffering. And we need each other to help one another walk through those things, to confess sin, to grow through suffering, be comforted in suffering. We need each other in that way. So know each other and, and allow that community and, and God's work to shape your character and conform you to the image of Christ and in that way, we can turn from grumbling to trusting. Second test, test of hunger. The test of hunger. Go to chapter 16, read a few verses here in verse 1. Let's start there. They set out from Elam, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai on the 15th day of the second month after they departed from the land of Egypt. So 45 days in now, and the whole congregation of the people of Israel, here it is again, grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we have died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full, for you brought us into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Let's picture this. Oh, that you left us in slavery, we could have died there. Much better off. Really? All right. Verse 4. The Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them. There's that idea again. 
whether they'll walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepared what they bring in, it'll be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, at evening you shall know it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, and in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he's heard your grumbling against the Lord. What are we that you're grumbling against us? And Moses said, when the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling, that you grumble against him, what are, what are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, say to the whole congregation of Israel, come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. And as soon as Aaron spoke to people uh, of Israel, they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, at twilight you will eat meat, in the morning you will eat, be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. Catch a key word? Yeah, grumbling. That's right. Again and again and again and again. This is stressed. Now why is grumbling such a big deal? Why is it such a big deal? On the scale of sin, you might, th- you might think, well, man, like murder and adultery is a whole lot worse than grumbling, right? Because, I mean, grumbling, it comes up again in Numbers 14 and Numbers 20. And in that book, it's grumbling essentially that costs them the promised land. So what's the big deal? And here, here's the deal. Here's why it's such a big deal. Grumbling is an unbelieving heart made visible. That's what grumbling is. It's not just the words, although those are so bad. Grumbling reveals a heart that lacks faith in God. And go figure, faith is a big deal to God. A big deal to God. So we're called to believe in Him. And notice Moses nails this. You're not grumbling against us. Your grumbling is against the Lord. So my, my friend Josh texted me after my, I don't know, a while back, we were reading this text together, and he's like, yeah, it's, it's like grumbelief. I'm like, yes, thank you, Josh. Combine words, grumbelief, that's wonderful. So there you go. Grumbling is a visible way of seeing our unbelieving hearts. That's what's going on in that way. Every, every horizontal complaint has a vertical component. Or to say, every time we complain about this stuff here, Really saying, like, hey, God, got an issue. If God is sovereign over all, and we're complaining, that's got to get directed to him in some kind of a way. That's why I said in the beginning, friends, I've been studying this and thinking through this, and it's been good for my soul to recognize this and think through these things. Believing God in his word is central to our relationship with God. It is absolutely central. Hear me say this. When Israel complains, when we complain, they, we are saying, we know better than you, God. We were better off before you intervened in our lives. We would rather have comfort than closeness with you. We'd rather have comfort, just be comfortable in this life. Just leave us be, God, we'll be comfortable. We'd rather have that than be in the fire of a trial and a test 
and be drawn closer to you. That's what I'm saying when I grumble against the Lord in those moments. And so God provides. It's amazing how gracious God is here to say, here's quail for meat in the evening, here's bread in the morning. He provides for 40 years in the wilderness, by the way, provides for them and uh, gives to them these things in abundance that they're undeserving of. We even see here later on in the chapter, hey, do it this way. Gather twice as much on Friday. Saturday's a Sabbath. You gather none then. By the way, don't gather any extra if you do. That's not good. What do they do in this chapter later on? You can read later on. They gather extra. The next day has worms and it stinks. And then at first, they don't gather extra on Fridays. And Saturday morning, they're like, where's our bread at? Come on, Lord. And he's like, I, I told you what to do. And again, you can read Israel's story in, in the Old Testament and think, what is wrong with you people? Like, I would get this. I would follow this. I would do this stuff. But friends, let's not, let's not forget James 1, to 25, which says, don't just be hearers of the word, be doers also. And it says that the word of God operates like a mirror, right? Showing us, as we read about Israel and say, what's your deal? God's trying to point to ourselves well to say this can be you as well. We can struggle with grumbling and disobedience in the same ways they did. Have you ever grumbled in the Christian life? Have you ever disobeyed a command explicitly said in Scripture where you're like, ah, that's not the best idea? We have. We all have. This is why we praise God for Christ and his atoning work on our behalf for our sins, knowing that's who we are and how we come to him many times. And uh, we, we forget. They forgot what God did. They saw, all the, they saw plagues and Red Sea parted. How could they respond in this way? Friends, we've seen God work in our lives. We have. We've seen God work in various ways, and we quickly forget, though God provides. Man, my wife and I were in uh, a different state, and I feel like we knew a while back on a, a little trip for just her and I. Went to an ice cream store. Um, we we're pricing out which ones had the cheapest prices because I'm, I'm a cheapskate. And uh, so we're walking around. We're in this one store, and there was a dad and a son in this store in front of us. And this son, I, I'm not going to impersonate, whew, but uh, this son was, we'll just say, whining on steroids, Okay. It was, it was crazy, and just going on and on and on, and making this whimpering, crying, whining sort of noise, while the dad is ordering him ice cream. I'm like, he's getting you the goods, kid, you know? And it, I'm just, I was amazed at that moment as a parent, and just, we just left, because I'm like, this is not, this is not good. So we, just, we left, found a cheaper spot anyway, so there it was. But I, I just think, how many times, how many times am I like that kid in the ice cream shop? Where God is saying, like, I'm bringing provision to you in an abundance of ways. It's not always money or property or ease or all those things. But God is providing grace and mercy and love and people to love. And, and a variety of things, gifts he's given to us. And I'm with that kid saying, more, more, more. And God is doing so much in abundance in our lives. So friends, let's rejoice in the God who richly supplies us with everything we need. Because he does. Maybe, maybe Paul has this episode from Exodus in his mind uh, when he says this from Philippians 2, verse 14. He says, Do all things 
without grumbling or disputing. That you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Maybe you did, who knows, but you think of this text in Exodus and think of Paul, say, don't grumble or dispute. Why? He says here, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of this crazy, twisted world, and you shine as lights. I tell my kids, I'm like, they started, they're working now, uh, they worked at the university a little bit in like the cafeteria, my son mows lawns and does these things. I'm like, guys, like employment, you ready? Employment 101 my 15 and 13 year old. I'm like, if you show up like two minutes, three minutes early, and if you do your job and don't complain, like you're like here. You know what I'm saying? Like, you're, like you're, that's a high bar you're setting. They're like, seriously? I'm like, seriously. Not a joke. If you do your job well, if you don't complain, and you show up like a couple minutes early, your boss is like, you're awesome. Right? So they're still like, I'm not sure I believe that. I'm like, oh, you, you will. Um, and so here's the deal. You, when people do that in a place of employment, they shine. Something's different about them. Like, well, why aren't you complaining about the boss or that coworker? Why are you, why are you working all the time? That's oh, my, my job to do so, right? So that shines forth in a certain kind of a way. So the flip side of that is to say when we grumble, it shows a heart of unbelief in God. When we shut that down and speak in faith, Filled ways from a heart that is faith-filled in God, that shines. Oh, that shines. And God's calling us to that, friends. He's calling us to a faith in Him that manifests in speech that is showing forth our faith in Him. And, and the amazing thing is, like God provided for Israel in the wilderness, the amazing thing is He provides water for them. In John chapter 4, for example, Jesus is talking to a Samaritan woman at a well. And he says, give me a drink, please. And, he's, and she's like, you know, hey, why are you asking me for a drink? You're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan. And he gets down and probably, hey, if you wanted like everlasting water, you'd ask me. Which she's very confused. But we get this now as we read this and say, Jesus, as, as God provided physical water in the wilderness for Israel, God supplies the Son of God, Jesus, to us as water to quench the thirst of our souls. This is what Christ has done in us and for us. He provided manna in the wilderness, Exodus 16 and beyond. And in John 6, some Jews recall, hey, God provided manna in the wilderness for our fathers. How about some more bread there? Jesus just fed them the day before, 5,000 plus people. And he, he reminds them of some things like, yeah, man doesn't live by bread alone, by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Oh, by the way, also, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me won't hunger. Whoever believes in me won't thirst. This passage points us directly to Jesus, not just for physical hunger and thirst, but our souls, our hearts, hunger and thirst, as the only means of satisfaction. Friends, the gospel is, the good news is, Jesus has come to say, nothing else will fill the satisfaction of your soul. You are craving. You'll look a thousand 
places to satisfy that, and you won't be satisfied. Every sin you turn to will not satisfy. And he says, I'm here as your Savior from your sins, to save you from those sins. I'm here as Lord of all, including you. I'm here as your great satisfaction to be turned to in faith to say, I embrace you, Jesus, as my Savior, yes, as my Lord, yes, and as my greatest treasure and satisfaction. You are the bread and water that satisfies my soul. That's the gospel. That's the call. If you're here today and you don't know Christ, his call to you today is to say, I am for your soul all the satisfaction you will ever need. Turn from your sin. You won't find happiness there. Turn to me in faith and be saved. That's the call. Any child here, any student here, any adult here, that's the call in your life to believe in Jesus Christ and then to grow in godliness. So the call, friends, is to believe in Jesus and the tests of life turn from grumbling and disobedience to confident faith, to trusting speech patterns and to submissive obedience. Let me, let me close with these points here. Confident faith. He wants us to turn from grumbling and a heart of unbelief to confident faith. When I say this, let me say it this way. Let's not just read God's word out of duty. Let's not just hear on a Sunday morning God's word out of duty. Let's really relate to him as we come to his word. Let's recognize when the Bible speaks, God speaks. You recognize that? When the Bible speaks, God speaks to us and we speak back to him in prayer. There's a confident faith in saying, I'm coming to your word in faith, Lord. And some days, can we just be honest? I've had these days. Some days you come to the Bible like that guy in the Gospel of Mark who says, I believe, but help my unbelief. He knows. And so we pray, God, as I, I read this and study this, work faith and believe in me because I'm lacking that right now in so many ways and, and come to him in that kind of way. He will provide, friends, in that kind of a way. Let, let's turn him away from grumbling and, and unbelief to trusting speech patterns. Trusting speech patterns. Let's learn, like Proverbs says, even a fool, when he closes his mouth, is deemed wise. There are times as grumbling comes forth from my mouth, the Holy Spirit and my wife oftentimes will help me to say, let's just shut that down and, and repent of that and turn toward trusting speech patterns. I want to say this too. I want to I read a quote to us here to say there's good in lamenting and lamenting is different than grumbling. I do not want to come here this morning and try to dissuade you of grieving and lamenting over legitimate things going on in your life that are hard. But here's, here's a difference. Here's a quote. The challenging circumstances they encountered, this is Israel, in the desert, did not lead to a further trust in God, but rather it led to a hardened rebellion against God's purposes. This is referring to this, this text here. In their grief, they proclaimed, we don't want God, we want Egypt. And herein lies the difference between lament and grumbling. Grumbling is when our grief and anguish drives us not further into the promises and comfort of God, but rather farther from God. 
when it seems like sorrows and griefs are our lot and a season of hardship has been ordained for us, we can be tempted to desire the comforts we once had more than the purposes and promises of God. I want to say that again. When it seems like sorrows and griefs are our lot and a season of hardship has been ordained for us, we can be tempted to desire the comforts we once had more than the purposes and promises of God. In the long, dark nights of suffering, comfort and ease can quietly become idols that we look to for hope. We long for easier days. We wish we could go back. We become angry at God for all the hardships we're encountering. And this forms a hardened heart and a deep lack of satisfaction in God and His purposes alone. But that's not lament, that's grumbling. Yes, lament says, confess your anguish, confess your pain, lay it out. However, lament then directs us to turn our eyes upon Christ, the many comforts promised to us through the Spirit, and we're reminded of the provision and contentment that comes in Christ. I'm not trying to devalue anyone's pain in this room. I want to just encourage us from God's word to turn in faith to God, even when it feels impossible to do so, and to trust that he is the God of mercy and the God of all comforts who comforts us in our affliction, that he is that God. Then one last turn in application here would be from unbelief and grumbling to submissive obedience. Right, that God's grace saves and trains us for godliness, so we, we Go to his word. We plead desperately, oh God, help me to see in this moment of testing, of trial, of difficulty, to submit to you, to obey you. I don't know all of what to do next, but I do know I want to obey what's plainly written in your word. Oh Lord, help me. I want to surrender to your will and your word. I want to submit to it. Help me toward that end. In my attitude, in my marriage, in my relationships, in my humility, my joy, my self-control, the kind of words I use, the kind of tone of voice that I use, help. You want a good prayer? It's a two-word prayer. You ready? Help, Lord, all the time. Constant. It's like a Nehemiah 1 prayer. Something happened, something said, help, Lord, help, Lord. Why? Because we need help. Because we're needy. And God provides. And the giver gets the glory. So, friends, we're called in this text to place our faith in God in every circumstance so that we can joyfully obey Him. Grumbling is a making visible of an unbelieving heart. And the beauty of the grace of God through His Word is that He can work in us to work faith in us. And that faith produces a kind of obedience that is joy-filled to live our days and walk out our lives in ways that show others God is great. God is good. God is glorious. He is worth living and dying for in any circumstance. That's the call in our lives, and that's the kind of light we want to shine in word and deed. Father, I pray that as we think on those truths that we would be a faith-filled people. Lord, that we would show forth our faith from our hearts in the words that we say, the attitudes that we demonstrate, 
our submissiveness and obedience to you, our confidence in you. Lord, I pray that as, as life can be trying and difficult, you would give us a calm confidence. You would ground us in the truths and the promises of your word, that you would help us to live in community with one another, not to isolate, but to pursue this kind of calling together. And God, that you would use this church to be a, a shining light to this community to show what it means to follow Jesus in every circumstance. We praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.